Okay, so here's a, what I want to start with is I'd like to start the messages with a question just to get you thinking about today's topic. And so I want you to turn to somebody around you and tell them something that you are looking forward to that's coming up next. Maybe it's in the next few weeks, months, whatever, but something you're looking forward to that's coming up next. Go. All right, lots of discussions. Apparently there's lots of stuff everybody is looking forward to. I think I heard a few parents saying they're looking forward to school starting again. Yeah, get those kids out, get back to school. Well, it doesn't matter what, uh, what life stage you're in, the season of life that you're in, everybody has something that's coming up next. You may know what it is or you may not know what it is, but all the different ages, all the different life stages, everybody's got something coming up next. So if you're maybe a, 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 in school, you're thinking about the next school year. Here's the next grade that I'm going to be in or the next year in college that I'm in. Or maybe you're graduating college and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to enter into the workforce now. And so I've got to be thinking about my career or I'm going to be starting a new business or I've got a promotion or I've got a new. Uh, and you're thinking about the, kind of that next season in work. Or maybe it's a relationship. Is you are thinking about uh, this person and you are maybe going to get engaged pretty soon. And so that's going to be the next big thing. Or you are engaged and you're going to be getting married or you're recently married and you're thinking, oh, kids, that's going to be the next thing. And then once you have kids, you're thinking, oh, we should have two or three or whatever, uh, more kids. And, and even if you have kids and there's always the next season for the kids, you know, you think about your kids going into school for the first time and then they go into junior high and then high school and then at 30 they move out and you're an empty nester. And <laughs> right, you, you think about all the, the next stages for, for them and and eventually we get to this place where maybe we're thinking about retirement and we think, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to just spend so much time volunteering at the church. It's going to be fantastic because I'm going to be retired and have all that time. You hear? Okay. But here's what I've realized about um, seasons of life and transitioning from one season of life to the next is I've observed this in my own life and other people's is we're always convinced that the current season that we are in is so much more complicated, so much more overwhelming than the previous season that we're in. And we look back and we go, that last season of life was so easy. You're in junior high and you think, this is overwhelming. I don't just have one class. I got to go to a bunch of classes throughout the day. And then you get to high school and you go, oh my goodness, I don't even know what to do with myself. I have classes. I have sports. I can barely find enough time to take a nap. This is, this is too much. And then eventually you get into uh, working and you think, oh, this is overwhelming. And then maybe you get married and, well, that is overwhelming. And then you have your first kid and you think, how do people get out of the house with children? This is insane. I don't even, I, this is crazy. And then you have three, four kids and you look back and you go, one kid was so easy. Now I have multiple kids and it's constant disaster. Or maybe it's uh, retirement and you think back and you go, wow, life was, was so easy because now my days are spent with going to doctor's appointments because of all my ailments. <laughs> and every life stage, you're convinced the previous life stage was so much easier, so much less complicated, but hopefully it's always getting a little bit better. One of the things that I strive for and I've seen in my own uh, parents and grandparents is they've told me that every season of life is better than the last one was. 
Every season of life is better than the last one was. And so today I want to talk about what is, what is next. What is next for you? What is next for us as a church? What do you need to be thinking about? And so in order to kind of talk about what's coming up next, I want to look into a, a story that we're, is going to take place in the Gospels. Now, if you're not a church person, I'll give you just a, a quick uh, 101 Bible. In the New Testament, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of which are biographies of Jesus written by different people. So two of them are written by eyewitnesses who were disciples, and that's going to be Matthew and John. And so they're saying, hey, we hung out with Jesus, here's what we saw. The other two, Mark and, uh, and Luke, were written by uh, scribes uh, telling the stories of eyewitnesses. And they're usually associated with one of the disciples. And so what happens is you get a lot of different stories, some of which are uh, told in all four Gospels or in a couple of them, but you get them from different perspectives and different levels of details. And so you may read one and go, wow, I have a lot of questions. I'm not really sure I fully understand this. And if you can find that story in another Gospel, you might be able to find some of the details and answer some of the questions that you have. And so that's what we're going to do today, is I'm going to jump between a couple of the different Gospel stories in order to make uh, this kind of a fuller picture. Of, uh, of the story we're going to be looking at today, and it's going to be in John and Luke. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can start in John, and we'll kind of jump around a little bit. Um, but we're going to be looking at one of the more uh, pivotal moments in, the, in Jesus' ministry, and it's the calling of one of his disciples. So here's where it starts. It's John 1, 6. It says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Okay, so this might be a little bit confusing at first. So you got the gospel of John, and he's writing about a person named John. Okay, so let me make sure we're clear. You got the gospel of John. This is written by one of the disciples, one of the guys who followed Jesus around. In fact, he's the only one of the disciples that we know of that eventually lived to uh, old age, and he wasn't killed. He wasn't martyred along the way. And so as he is about to die, he's old, he says, I need to write down all the stuff that I witnessed during the years that I followed Jesus. And that's where we get the gospel of John. This is his account of Jesus' ministry. Well, he's writing about another figure named John, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist um, is a very interesting figure because he is what they call the forerunner for the Messiah. So for hundreds of years before Jesus, there was these prophecies that the Messiah is going to come, he's going to save Israel, but before he does, there's going to be someone who is going to come and pave the way, kind of prepare the people and say, hey, God's about to do something really big in the world, you better get ready, you better get right with God. Well, they identified, the disciples and a lot of people during the first century identified John as that person. Because John was a very interesting figure. We find out he's kind of a wilderness guy. He's dressed in camel's hair. He loves locusts and honey. And he would just go out and preach. And he would tell people to repent. And the kingdom of God is near. And, and so people began to follow him. In fact, he was really popular. He began to uh, have people who would become his disciples. Learn from him. Hear what he had to say. Follow him around. And as people are following around as his disciples, we see that there is one disciple that he has that's going to end up being a kind of a connector. Here's what, I mean, it says this in John 1, 29. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John is preparing the way for the Messiah. He says the Messiah is coming. Then he sees Jesus and he goes, and there he is. The Messiah is here. In fact, the scene is repeated again the next day when, G when Jesus walks by, John says, that's the guy. That is the Messiah. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Which is a, 
I feel like an appropriate response when someone is following you around. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Not appropriate response. Uh, Following someone around, where are you staying? Hey, where you live around here? Okay, all right, fine. Uh, Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So John identifies Jesus as the Messiah. John's disciples say, all right, we're going to go follow this guy who you think is the Messiah to see if he really is or not. And so they begin following Jesus around, kind of figuring out, all right, is this the guy? Is this not the guy? What's his deal? Now, this next part I find kind of interesting because it reminds me, and apparently there used to be a game, I was informed. It's called Six Degrees of Separation. And I guess you would try to connect, like, people in movies to other people in movies, and you have, like, six I don't know, I didn't play the game. But we did play a different version of it in the office this week. And the idea is that everybody in the world is connected uh, by six people. Like you can get to anyone in the world by six connections if you knew all the relationships. And I'm convinced that if you live in Los Angeles or you live in Orange County, you can connect to almost any celebrity within three, I think. So we played it, and here's the three that I was given this week. Uh, The three people were Brad Pitt, Donald Trump, Martha Stewart. So I had to figure out, can I connect to these people uh, within six tries, so, or six relationships? Um, so I was Brad Pitt. I said, well, besides looking like him, yes, I can. Uh, here's what it is. I was hoping to get, like, less of laughter with that. Just like, yeah, I can see it. Uh, okay. So my connection was, my dad has a friend who is best friends with Brad's brother, who obviously knows Brad, okay? So that's how I get, did that one. Donald Trump was actually easy. My brother-in-law used to work for him. Now, Martha Stewart was a bit more difficult. It took me a while to figure out how me and Martha are connected, but here's how it worked out. I have a friend who went to Long Beach Poly who graduated with Snoop Dogg, and Snoop Dogg is obviously good friends with Martha Stewart. So, <laughs> yes. So apparently the, the kind of the six degrees of separation thing worked uh, similar in the first century because there were different connections, relationships that ended up connecting Jesus with another key figure. And so you're going to follow these connections as we go along. John 1.40 says, Andrew, so remember, John the Baptist, he had disciples, one of which was named Andrew. And Andrew goes and follows Jesus now. And so Andrew then brings his brother, Simon Peter, and because he was one of the two that heard John, uh, what John had said about Uh, Jesus. Okay, did you get all the connections? Did you follow? John the Baptist, he comes, and we got uh, his followers. One of his followers is Andrew. Andrew has a brother named Peter who introduces him to Jesus. Connect the dots, Jesus style, okay? Now, this meeting is going to be pivotal in not only uh, Peter's life, but in the ministry of Jesus, because this is where we are first introduced to Peter, who later becomes uh, incredibly important. And I just want to pause here. This is not really the point of the story, but it just reminds us and something that we talk about here all the time is there is incredible power in invitation and introduction. This is why we tell, uh, this is why we constantly talk about us being a church of inviters because we understand that there is power to change people's lives in a simple invitation or introduction. If you think about some of the most uh, pivotal moments in your life, you would probably trace them back to an invitation or introduction. Your spouse, somebody probably introduced you, or you were invited somewhere and you met them there. Your job, your career, you may have been invited or introduced by a connection that you had. This is also true, unfortunately, of the biggest regrets that we have, is someone introduced us to a lifestyle, to a substance, 
to a person, to a community in which we ended up going in a, 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 a kind of taking a left turn in life and ending up with a lot of regret. And so we want to be a church of inviters because we understand that we can change the people, people's lives, the trajectory, that we can be people who um, just by a simple invitation can not only change their life, but can change their marriage, their family, and future generations to come, which has been uh, my family story and maybe yours as well, is that through a simple invitation, hey, come to church with me, come check this out, not only was my life changed, but it has been generations of lives changed through a simple invitation. Okay, so let's get back to our story. Peter continues on, and the next part is a little bit fuzzy, is the chronology is kind of hard to put together, but here's what we do know, is that after the initial meeting between Peter and Jesus, uh, Peter kind of observes and hangs out with Jesus for a little bit. In fact, there is this one meeting in which Peter has Jesus over for a meal, and during that meal, he says, my mother-in-law, she's really sick, is there anything that you could do about it? And he ends up healing Peter's mother-in-law. But there's one meeting, and this is the meeting that I want to focus on, uh, that ends up changing everything. And so it takes place, and we're going to now jump over to uh, Luke 5. Here's what it says. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is a, in the Sea of Galilee, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. So the scene is probably early in the morning. The fishermen had been fishing all night and were cleaning up. Now, I'm, I don't fish. In fact, my grandfather for my entire life has tried to convince me to go fishing, and I say, absolutely not. And there's a few reasons. One, for some reason, and you can explain this to me if you are a fisherman, is you're supposed to go either at night or really early in the morning. That sounds horrible to me. Why would I get up early in the morning? I can go to Vaughn's and purchase the fish that you're going to catch for far cheaper and less time. So you got to go early in the morning. Then once you get there, Got to be honest, super boring, all right? It is super boring, and nobody's going to get hurt. And unless somebody's getting hurt, we're not having fun. And so I'm not interested in fishing. But apparently, those are the best conditions for fishing. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put, uh, put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus was popular, lots of crowds of people. In fact, so many people that they would end up crushing him and he wouldn't be able to speak. And so what he did was he grabs uh, Simon's boat. He stands and he says, push me out a little bit. That kind of becomes his stage and he's able to speak to everybody who's on the shore from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and, uh, and let down the nets for a catch. So not a huge request, but an odd request. He says to Peter, remember, they're just kind of feeling each other out. He's trying to figure out who Jesus is. Jesus, or Peter, let's, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing? I thought you were like the Messiah. Don't you have better things to do? Like, don't, are you supposed to be teaching about the kingdom of God and saving people's souls and stuff? You want to go fishing? Here's his response. Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Look, we went fishing all night when you're supposed to go fishing, and we didn't get anything. What are the chances that we're going to go during the day when you're not supposed to go fishing? And now you've got this big crowd, and they're watching, and so I get to fail in front of all of my friends? Nah, you know what, Jesus? It's been a long night. I'm tired. I'm cold. We've already begun cleaning up. I think that I'm just going to call it, call it a day. And I... I don't want to be rude, Jesus. I didn't want to say this, but if I remember correctly, you are a, a carpenter. Is that right? So fishing, not fishing, not a fisherman. Okay, that's what I thought. So let's, let's uh, leave the fishing to me and the furniture to you. We'll call it a day. 
This kind of reminds me of, and she's not here this weekend, so I can make fun of her as my mom. Um, is, is she has probably had, uh, she's probably done public speaking maybe a dozen times in her entire life, but she can teach you how to do public speaking. Every time that me or my dad get done with the message, she goes, here's what you need to fix. And we go, wait a minute, you don't do this. She goes, look, I've been listening to your father do this wrong for 40 years. I know how to public speak, okay? All right, deal. It's not in the text, but this got me thinking about why Jesus would want to go fishing, right? He's got better things to do. Why is he asking him to go fishing right now? And my, my thought process was this, and maybe I'm reading into it a little bit much, but I sort of wonder if Jesus is trying to find out if Peter is going to trust him or not. Like he's making this request, and he's going to see, do you trust me? Are you going to be obedient, or are you going to say, nah, I'd rather not? Because one of the things that Jesus ends, uh, later ends up talking about is if you want to be trusted with much, you have to be faithful in the little and so he makes this little request, odd request, maybe frustrating request, and he says, all right, let's see, are you going to obey? Are you going to trust? Or are you going to do your own thing? I remember when I first started preaching publicly, um, I was right out of college, and it was Saturday nights, junior high. And at that time, I think there was 30 kids. And so I would go in there, and I would study, and I would get prepared. And I remember the first time I was so nervous, I went up there to speak. And in the front row was a sixth grader. And he had popcorn in one hand and a soda in the other hand. And as soon as I begin speaking, he just pours this popcorn on his face. It's all over him. And then he chugs this Coke and just lets out the loudest burp that I had ever heard. And I was half convinced he was just going to smash it on his forehead next. Because I was like, this is like a frat party. What is happening right now? And I got to be honest, in that moment, I'm like, why did I go to college? <laughs> why did I learn all of this? This is worse than babysitting. You know, this is ridiculous. And so I walked away feeling very demoralized, going, I'm not sure if this job is for me. This seems a little bit ridiculous. And then I listened to one of my favorite pastors, and he was talking about how when he began in ministry, he was in the back of this little church, and he just had a classroom full of, of kids, and he would study as if he were speaking to thousands of people because... If he ever wanted to be blessed with the opportunity to speak to that many people, he had to be faithful in the little if God was going to trust him with the big. And I'm going to just speak real quick to millennials, okay, because I'm a millennial. Um, I, I, I've been working with millennials for a long time. Is Guys, this is like for us is we graduated college and we think that we are entitled to our dream job right away and how dare you ask me to get you coffee. You know, like, oh, oh my goodness. Guys, if we can be faithful in the little, maybe God will be able to bless us with the big stuff. If we can just go, you know what, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to put my head down, I'm not going to be entitled, I'm not going to complain, I'm going to work, and even if my boss is a punk and he is just a, the worst, I'm going to believe that God is watching me be faithful in these moments. Now, of course, this is not just applicable to millennials, this is for everybody. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, my finances, I can never seem to get money, I'm always behind. I, let me just throw this out there. Could it be that maybe... God hasn't blessed you with more because you suck with what you've got. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. You know, maybe God looks at you and goes, look, if I gave you more money, imagine the trouble that you would get yourself into. You don't know how to save. You don't know how to spend. You don't know how to be generous. You get in enough trouble with what you've got. I cannot trust you with more. 
All right, we're going to stick there and we're going to leave it. Okay. If I go any further, we may have a revolt on our hands. All right, here's what he says. Uh, Peter says, uh, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me time and effort and probably reputation. But because you said so, I don't agree. I don't understand. But because you said so, I'm going to do it. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And so the scene is they have so many fish. They're out to sink. They're freaking out. Guys, come help us. we got to put fish into your boat. This is so. And here's kind of the image that comes into my mind is while this is happening, and they're all trying to figure out what to do and, and, and keep the nets from breaking. Peter is over on the side of the boat, and he is watching this whole scene, and his mouth is just dropped wide open. He's just, what is going on? Because he's not concerned about fish anymore. He has something far bigger that he is concerned about. Yeah, this is a lot of fish, but he just commanded all of these fish. There's something bigger at play here. And so here's here's his response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. His response is not, Oh my goodness, can you imagine what kind of year we're going to have? The bottom line is going to be incredible. Let's become fishing partners, Jesus. No, his response is, get away from me, Lord. If he weren't on a boat in the middle of the sea, he would have run away from Jesus. Why would he respond like that? If you and I opened up our bank account and there was $10 million in there today, after we prayed, we would go, all right, amen, you know, amen. But he runs away afraid. Why? Here's what he says, because I am a sinful man. In this moment, Peter now feels exposed. He feels inadequate. He has now stood next to perfection, someone who is in control of not only themselves, but everything around them. And he realizes who he is in light of that. He says, you are perfect. And as I stand next to you, I'm exposed. My sin, all my imperfections, I'm a mess. Now, you and I have experienced this probably to some degree at one point or another is whatever you pride yourself in, maybe it's, you know, you, you're successful or you're wealthy or you're good looking or your family's super cute or whatever it is, and then somebody comes along who is better than you, better looking, more money, cuter family, whatever, and in that moment, you just go, ooh. Like, girls are the best, and sorry, ladies, for me to pick on you, but you are just the best. When a pretty girl comes in, you just go, oh, she is so pretty, I hate her. I hate, ugh. You know, and then you said, she must have had work done. That's not natural. <laughs> and it's because when we, are, uh, when we are put up against somebody who is bigger, better, stronger, faster, whatever, we then realize how inadequate we are. And it's a weird reaction that we have because on one hand, we're kind of drawn to them because of what they have or what they have done or who they are. But in the other, we're repulsed by them because it shows us who we are not. That's exactly what Peter was feeling. He probably began that day thinking, I'm a good guy. I'm a faithful Jewish man. In fact, I think I found the Messiah. I like this Jesus guy. I've been hanging out with him. And then in that moment, he's confronted with who he truly is. 
Because when he is put against perfection, he sees perfection, he goes, I am just a broken sinner. His follow-up thought was probably, and I have no business hanging out with this guy. Because he believed that God only loves those who follow the rules, who are pious, those people who were highly religious and righteous, those were the people that God loved. But what Peter didn't understand in this moment, but he would come to later find out, is that he is the exact person that Jesus came for. That him admitting how broken and messed up and unworthy he was, was a prerequisite for following Jesus. He thought that this was going to disqualify him, but no, this is the thing that made him qualified, was he came and he said, I I'm broken and messed up, and you are perfect. Now, he didn't understand this yet. And what's fascinating about this story is this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so Peter doesn't fully grasp what's happening. But we have the book into the story, and it takes place in John 21. And it's almost a parallel story, but it's at the end of Jesus' ministry. And so what happens is in Luke 5, Peter meets Jesus, and he is confronted with his sin and his mess, and he wants to run away. But in John 21, same confrontation, totally different response because at this point Peter has seen Jesus for three years he's watched him he's seen him die he's seen him um, he's going to see him resurrect he knows who Jesus is and what he is about and who he has come for and so here's what happens in John 21 4 it says early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus he called out to them friends haven't you any fish no they answered he said throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Do you see Peter's reaction? In Luke 5, he realizes, I'm a messed up sinner, and I'm going to run away from, from perfection. This Jesus person wants nothing to do with me. And in John 21, you know what happens? He realizes he's messed up because think about it, he's denied Jesus, he's run away, he thought Jesus was gone and dead and he had gone back to being a fisherman and then he sees Jesus and his response is the opposite. I'm messed up so I need to run towards him. He's the only one that can save me from this mess that I found myself in. Peter in the end becomes somewhat of a model for what it looks like to follow Christ. We see that Peter is full of humility. He recognizes who he is, and he also recognizes who Jesus is in that Jesus does not need him. Jesus wants him. Jesus is willing to die for him, but Jesus doesn't need him. He needs Jesus. And he realizes that he's messed up. He cannot save himself. There's nothing he can do. And that's why he, his immediate response is, I got to run away before he realized what Jesus came to do. He also is, uh, it's, obedient. He, he trusts Jesus. Even in the simple request like, let's go fishing, when it doesn't make sense and he doesn't want to do it and it's the opposite of what his opinion would be, he goes, all right, because you said so, I will. And of course, he's a person of action. He doesn't just know what to do. He doesn't just agree with Jesus. He actually does it. Because for some, for us, for some of us, there's this disconnect between, I know what Jesus wants and I know what he wants for me because it says in the scripture, and yet I'm not sure if I'm willing to do it. And yet he goes fishing. And so here's how the story ends. Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. So all these fish are in the boat. He's freaking out. And he goes, don't be afraid, man. You see what I just did here? You know, I can control nature. Remember what I did for your mother-in-law? I was able to heal her. I'm in control. If you are with me, there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Because there's nothing that is outside of 
of my control. From now on, you will fish for people. i got a plan for your life, Peter. It's got to be a plan that is so big it's going to transform the world. And so they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything to follow him. Now, I want to pause in the middle of this story really quick. Because think about the moment when Jesus says to Peter, hey, let's go fishing. In that moment, Peter had no idea what was hanging in the balance for him in his life. Because he could have very easily said, you know what, Jesus, let's try again tomorrow. I'm calling today. Let's wrap it up. Um, You know what? There'll be more fish tomorrow. It's not working anyway. He could have said that. And that would have been a totally reasonable response. But you know what would have happened? I'm just guessing. But you know what I think might have happened? Jesus would have gone, okay, that's fine. But you don't trust me. And so maybe I'll go and I'll find somebody else who's more willing and more trustful and obedient. And that's okay. I'm not mad at you. I still love you. But what he would have missed out on was the next three years of his life and being, his name being written in the pages of history. Because he could have just said no and he would have just been another obscure figure out of the billions of people who have lived. He was a first century fisherman who lived and died and nobody knows about him. But because he said, all right, I trust, let's do it, let's go. For the next three years, he got to walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, see him do miracles, watch the transfiguration. He was part of the inner circle of three in which Jesus was able to uh, invest in him. He was one of the first, or he was the first disciple to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. He watched the trial. He watched the crucifixion. Eventually, he would see the resurrected Christ and then be a part of launching the church that would transform the world. If you think about what was hanging in the balance at that moment, where Jesus says, let's go fishing. There would never be children, there would never be universities, there would never be cities, there would never be churches named after Peter, but there are, because he said, all right, let's go fishing. So the question I want to end with is this, what's your next step? What is the next step on your spiritual journey? Maybe your next step is a who. Maybe every time you come here and we talk about things, especially relational things, oh man, there's a sore spot and you go, oh, there's this person whom I have a broken relationship with and I know it needs mended and it is a sore spot in my life. And so you need to go and you need to reconcile. Maybe you need to forgive them and they don't deserve forgiveness. They haven't asked for forgiveness and yet you need to offer them forgiveness. Or maybe it's you who needs forgiveness in which you know, man, I messed this up and I'm too prideful and too embarrassed to go and mend this relationship and you need to acknowledge that and ask for forgiveness. Some of you guys need to make a commitment to follow Jesus for the first time or again. You've, you've kind of run away as a prodigal for a long time and it's time for you to come back and reconcile with your Lord. Or some of you guys have never done that before and you need to go, okay, my next step is the first step. I, I need to follow this Jesus. I need to give my life over to him. Or maybe your next step is a What? Maybe your next step is purity. You, you, you barely made it here this morning because of what happened last night and you still got a headache and you're still, it's a, you know, life's kind of a mess right now. And if you're being honest, it's consuming you. You're not enjoying it anymore. Or maybe it's a lifestyle where you need to pursue sexual purity. And you go, I just, I got to get away from dating. I got to get away from the opposite. So I, you know what? I just need to, I need to take a year off and just clear my mind and get right with God. Maybe it's to begin giving for the first time. So many of us are white-knuckling our money, and we just, oh, we need to let go. We need to go, all right, that's it. I'm going to become a giver. I'm going to make it a habit. 
I'm not going to just give when my heartstrings are pulled or when it's convenient or when I want to invest. No, you know what? I'm going to give, and I'm going to give every month a percentage of my paycheck because I want to be a generous person whether it kills me or not. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take that next step and be a percentage giver. Or maybe it's serving. We talked about last week, we have over 500 kids who are here every single weekend. With, they are coming from all different parts of life and kids who need invested in and loved on and welcomed. And maybe you need to go out into the patio after this and you need to just go, all right, kids, what do you need me to do? I'm willing. I'm able. Let's do it. Maybe kids isn't your thing and you need to help out in parking. You need to, whatever, find a place and serve. Stop being a consumer. Start contributing. We don't need more seat warmers. We need more people active. Or maybe it's you to get involved and pursue something in your next step in your spiritual journey, whether it's Rooted, if you've been around here for the last year, you know that Rooted has transformed this church. That hundreds of people have gone through, and I have not had to give money back to one person yet. And so maybe you need to do Rooted, and we're going to open registration today out on the patio. You can go sign up, maybe do Rooted 2, you need to do Rooted 3, maybe you need a leaded group. Whatever it is, you need to jump in, and you need to take that next step. And do not allow yourself to talk yourself out of it. Right? I'm busy. i got a lot going on. I'm not sure if I'm ready yet. Nah, come on. Go. Get out there. Let's go. Because here's the great thing about following Jesus is everybody has a next step. Whether it's the first step in your spiritual journey or it's another step in a 50-year journey, everybody has a next step that they have to take. And it's, a, it's an incredible journey. It's an incredible privilege that we get to do this. And so uh, here's how I want to end this service is... Um, two ways. One, of course, I want to challenge you to figure out what your next step is, but I also want to celebrate some folks who are taking their next step. Is We have a, a couple different things happening just this very week, one of which is a ton of junior hires are going down to San Diego to camp this week, which is, you know, it, it's, it's a big step for some kids. This is the first time away from their parents, and they're going to just love it, and it's going to be incredible. But the other is that we have a bunch of volunteers going to uh, love on some kids who are in the uh, foster care system at Royal Family Kids Camp. And so I'm going to ask you guys to come on forward, if you will, and stand in here. And, and we as a church want to just pray for them as they go into this week, and they're going to be investing in these kids. Yes. course, it's, it's going to be an incredible week. It's going to be a challenging week. Many of them have taken time off of work and, and other things in life for them to be able to take this next step. And so as they're making their way here, um, I want to just uh, pray for them and pray for junior high. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for um, just this, this group of people who are willing to not only give of their time and their energy, but um, they're going to be giving emotionally and spiritually to these children, Lord God. And I just pray that you would give them strength, um, that you would just do something miraculous through these, uh, through these volunteers. As they go down and they invest in these kids, that these kids maybe get a glimpse of what their life could look like, and get a glimpse of what it looks like to have a relationship with you, that you would uh, inspire them, that you would draw them close to you, and that you would use these volunteers as an instrument in order to do that. Lord God, I also pray that they would walk away from this week and that they would be blessed. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how they would be blessed, but they would walk away knowing that you have used them, that you have been a part of, uh, of transforming lives through them, Lord God. I also pray for the junior hires as they go down, and some of them first time away from parents, and it's scary, and, and yet we know that you're going to meet them there and that you're going to grab hold of these young people's lives, and that this may be the thing that ends up changing the trajectory of their life. Lord God, we just pray that something transformative would happen there as well. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.